are in the middle of a fairly lengthy sermon series uh, called Letting People See Jesus. About six months in, would you believe it? And we are loving it. It's awesome. Uh, we are, we're not working through books per se like Matthew and then John and etc. looking at Jesus. We are working chronologically as time passed in his life. And uh, we're probably around a year and a half into his ministry at this stage. But we're in the section where we look at the parables, which has been great. I preached a couple of weeks on, ago on the Sermon of the Weeds, the Parable of the Weeds, and Greg preached the week before that on the Parable of the Sower. And I've found them really interesting. I don't know about you. Uh, I'm going to be looking at the Parable of the Mustard Seed today. I'm excited. I really believe God has some great things. But just to remind you again that at this stage in the parables, they're all following a theme, and and we'll read it just now when we look at our text. Jesus says, remember that, sorry, parables, the Greek word, which for us would be translated comparisons. That's what they are. Jesus taking real-life situations and applying them to, to spiritual things, And he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He was talking about that when we looked at the parable of the weeds. He's talking about that when we look at the parable of the mustard seed this morning. He says the kingdom of heaven is like. So overarching this morning, we're looking at what is that kingdom of heaven like. We're going to look at another facet of it together. But I'd like to read it. It's a really long parable. So make yourself comfortable. Not really. It says... In Matthew 13, two verses actually, verse 31 to 32, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, and he says, becomes a tree so that the birds can perch, can come and perch in its branches. There it is. That's our parable this morning. I want to break it down a little bit today. I want to talk about the smallest of seeds. I want to talk about it grows. I want to talk about it becomes a tree. And I want to talk about what it means that the birds of the air nest or perch nest is another Uh, translation says, in its branches. And I want to try and apply that all to our lives. Are you ready? Awesome. So, my first point this morning. Jesus describes the mustard seed as the smallest of seeds. Alright, we're going to reflect on that a bit this morning. But I want to talk about a little bit, why does he talk about the mustard seed? What is it about the mustard seed? What what is that context for us? He doesn't talk about, or the Bible doesn't talk a lot about mustard seeds. It only mentions it a couple of times. But if we go to Matthew 17 and verse 20, we'll kind of set the stage for what we're talking about today when he he compares the mustard seed to something. He says, and this is the story where the the, the disciples tried to cast a demon out of somebody and it didn't work. And then Jesus came and performed the deliverance. And they're like, why didn't it work when we tried And Jesus says to them, because you have so little faith, listen now, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, and he's obviously pointing to a mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Wow. Faith as small as a mustard seed. Whenever you hear a mustard seed, you can correct me if I'm wrong in the Bible, it's talking about 
faith. Okay? So we're going to apply this whole idea of faith today within the context of the kingdom of heaven and how that plays a part in our lives. So when we talk about the smallest of seeds, we're talking about the mustard seed. Our reference, kind of our point of anchor today is we're talking about faith and the part that it plays in our lives. Now, I don't want to refer too much to that scripture that we've just read, but I do want to define faith for us today because I think it's a word that we use quite a lot and it doesn't necessarily have to have a religious connotation. You can have faith in the goodness of people. You can have faith that the situation will come through for you. Do you get the idea of what I'm talking about today? We're not talking about that context of faith. If you take that Greek word and you look at the meaning of it, it talks about being persuaded. So we're talking about the idea of being persuaded this morning. We're talking about having belief, believing in something. But more importantly for me, the part of the definition which I think is most applicable is the part that says that faith is having confidence in certain divine truths. Okay, there's our context today. When we're talking about faith... We're not talking about faith in our government. We're not talking about faith in this or that. We're talking about the idea that having a mustard seed size faith or um, a confidence in certain divine truths. Okay? Because Jesus was talking in that parable to the, or in that story to the disciples. He was saying, you might have faith, but if you've got a mustard seed of the right kind of faith, you can speak to a mountain and it will literally move. That's an astounding statement. Do you believe it? (laughs) That's the question today. Are you persuaded? Do you have confidence in that divine truth that if we believe in the things that God says, certain things, astounding things, can happen in our lives? And I want us to start to unlock some of those from today. So that's the mustard seed. Let's talk about this whole idea where Jesus describes it as the smallest of seeds. Why is there an emphasis on smallness? Because Jesus uses that, that idea in our parable. And then when we look back at the other use of the mustard seed, when he's talking to his disciples, he talks about small as a mustard seed. So the context really in terms of the size of the seed is that it's really small. What does that mean? Why is that important for us when it comes to faith? What is Jesus trying to emphasize when he describes that seed as the smallest of all seeds? I want to talk about that now. The primary thing that we really need to remember when it comes to faith is that it's not about us. Amen. Sometimes I think that when people preach from the front or when we speak to each other, We place the emphasis on the success of our prayers in our ability to really pull up our socks high when it comes to expressing our faith. When I gather together enough faith, it'll reach the tipping point and my answer will come. Amen. Can anyone agree with what I'm saying there? You've been in that position before. When Jesus talks about this idea of having faith as small as a mustard seed, you know what he's saying is, yes, you need an amount, but it's not about your amount, it's about my grace, right? When it comes to faith, 
the cornerstone of our faith is not our ability to believe, but the greatness of the grace of God. When we get our heads around the greatness of the grace of God, faith will come. And we won't need a lot because it's not down to us. It's down to God. God does the mountain moving. Amen. We just have that little modicum of that just enough faith. I want you to be liberated today. I don't want you to live under this heaviness of, well, God hasn't answered my prayers because I just don't have enough faith. You'll never have enough faith because it's not your faith that actually moves the mountain. It's the power of God in your life. And it's simply coming to a place where we understand and we have confidence and we are persuaded and we believe in the ability of God. Not on that circumstance. That infinite ability of our God to move. When we reach that point, that's when I believe that we release him in our lives to do his thing. So, when we talk about the smallness of the seed, it's because Jesus is wanting to emphasize the greatness of his grace over our limited bit of faith, okay? And the, the other thing, this is really important for us to get a grip of this morning, is that when we talk about just having enough faith, it's really about making a start. Amen. Have you ever been in a position where you've never started on a journey because you felt, I don't, well, okay, I'm going to apply this in a Christian context because this is what I've got my head around at the moment. Sometimes we don't take that step of faith because we believe that we don't have enough faith yet. And so we focus our energies on the faith we don't have yet. And that stops us from taking that just enough step of faith. Does that make sense? Jesus wants us to take a mustard seed step. The only step that we can take to focus on the faith, that tiny little bit of faith that we do have now, and trust that our faith will grow as we go through the journey. Amen. Don't let the size of the journey or the step or the faith that you don't have prevent you from exercising the faith you do have right now. What is God calling you to? What is he calling you to do? Maybe you're here today and you're not even a Christian. You've never said, I want to take that step and cross the line of faith. You're just thinking, I'm a bad person. You don't know what I've done. I don't have the faith to believe in all the things that the Bible says. I just, I'm not ready. But actually, that's way beyond where you actually need to be. All you need to have is just enough faith. And those things will work themselves out later on. You know, some people don't take the step of saying, I want a relationship with Jesus because they say, I don't have enough faith. And the whole point of the mustard seed is it's not about your great faith. It's about God's great grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Where do you fit into that equation? Tell me. What part of that is reliant upon you? Nothing. You just take that mustard seed step of faith. Amen. So, we're on this agricultural theme again. All right? We're talking about having a mustard seed and applying it in, this essence, in, in the sense of this parable. The important part to think about right now is that the farmer takes the seed and he plants it. Amen? Before the farmer plants that seed, before he reaches a place of confidence to dig a hole in the dirt 
and put that crusty little thing in the ground, he has to believe in the potential in that seed. Amen. If he doesn't believe that that seed will sprout, that it will take root, that it will grow, he will never walk over and put it in the ground. Amen. We have to start. We have to plant the seed. We have to take that small step. But equally, we have to believe in the potential within the seed to grow. You know, it must be weird for the farmer. Plunks the seed in the ground and then he pushes off and he just has to wait. Days go by. Weeks go by. Every day he could come out and look at the ground and be like, where is it? Where's this thing that God has promised? Have you ever found yourself in that situation as a Christian? Hey, you planted a seed and you're like, I've done my bit. Where's the growth? You just have to wait, don't you? But we know that that seed will sprout. In my pocket, I hope I've still got it, is a seed. Can you see the size of that seed? Do you know what that seed is? That's a baobab tree seed. When I was in Kenya, I picked up a couple. Look at how small that is. Hey? I want to challenge you to go home and search on Google and look for baobab. And I want, to, I want you to see how massive that tree grows. We see them in Zimbabwe where about 30 people can stand arm and arm linked like that and they can't reach around the base of this tree. Can you believe it started right there? Hey? Inside that seed is a giant baobab tree. Are you getting where we're going here? I have to unlock that baobab tree. I have to plant that seed. As long as it sits in my pocket, that potential is never released. Not only do we have to believe in the seed, we have to believe in the potential that is locked inside it. We have to believe in the potential that is locked inside the seed of God's word. We have to believe in the potential locked in the gospel. Do you realize, hundreds of years ago, Jesus planted a seed amongst a few ordinary fishermen and farmers. And today, countless millions of people around the world believe in the Son of God. The potential in the seed. I want you to get this today. The seed, it's all in there. You know, give me a hundred baobab seeds. They're all the same. The difference, the problem is not the potential. The problem is what I do with it. So first of all, I have to plant the seed. The next thing that we read in that story is that Jesus says, when it grows, it will grow. I promise you. Whatever God has promised, that seed that he's put in your heart, that thing that you need to plant, it will grow. You just have to plant it. And then you have to let God do his thing. And while God's doing his thing, you do have to play a part. Not only do you have to unlock the potential by planting it, but you have to nurture the seed. Okay? The seed of faith. You have to plant it. We have to water it, don't we? If the water doesn't come, the seed doesn't grow. We have to fertilize the plant. That's what the farmer does. He fertilizes his crop. How do we apply that in our lives? The Holy Spirit's rain waters the faith that we plant. But as we apply the word of God to our lives, we fertilize 
that seed. Not only do we have to plant the seed, we have to do certain things, deliberate things, consistent things, so that what God germinates in our lives takes root. Amen. The more we invest ourselves in the nurturing of the seed that we plant, the more growth comes out of it. 2 Peter 3 verse 18, let me turn there. Excuse me. 3.18. Remember, the seed got planted in grace. Amen. Not our own efforts, but grace. Peter writes in verse 18, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Not only do we plant, but we're encouraged to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Sometimes what happens is, right, we get the knowledge, but we don't have the grace, right? We've got to have both, and I'm going to explain why that's important. We start our journey, and we focus on the knowledge at the expense of the grace, and we become very learned, and full, and educated, and we have these strong convictions Have you seen how people's strong convictions around the world are causing so much pain, right? Because there's no grace. It's all knowledge. When we focus on knowledge and our understanding at the expense of grace and a relationship with Jesus, we become religious. We become dry. We become legalistic people. And nothing good ever came out of legalism. Nothing good came out of religion, you know? Just look at history. Look at the world now, right now, how people are treating each other. They're full of religion and lacking in grace. They're law and legalistic, and people are being murdered in hundreds and thousands because they have this understanding, but they have no grace. Okay? So, understanding at the expense of grace causes us to become legalistic. How about the other way around? We become so focused on grace that we spend no effort on our understanding. Reading the Bible, discipling us, becoming disciples. Do you know what I'm saying? We're just concentrated fully on relationship, and that's great. But let me tell you, if you focus on grace at the expense of understanding, you become vulnerable. You become ill-disciplined. And stuff happens as a result of the decisions that you make. And you've faced difficulty in life because it's all about relationship at the expense of understanding and discipline. Hosea 4 verse 6 says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. And my application in this context is that we can have a relationship with Jesus, but we never take the time to actually learn about him and dig into his word and discover what he says, who he is, that we become imbalanced. We have a great relationship and grace is freely working in our lives. We could be sinning away and not feeling condemned, but really convicted. But actually, we're making all sorts of dumb choices in life that are affecting and limiting us, actually, in becoming the person that God has for us. Because we've 
forsaken this whole idea of having spiritual disciplines. And so that's why I say it's very exciting this coming term. We're going to be looking at dynamic spiritual disciplines, not just reading my Bible, praying, but actually life-filled interaction with the Son of God. So I'd encourage you to come along that. Maybe you're a, a new Christian and you're really enthusiastic. You might be here today, actually, but you've been a Christian for a long time and you've just become quite blasé about these disciplines. I've got those sorted. They're not that important, you know? And we actually, our lives are showing that fragility. We're a little bit vulnerable. You know, we're taking hits and uh, we're not coping well with life and what it's throwing at us. I'd encourage you to come on that course. Right, what happens when you put grace and knowledge together? That's the question you're asking, amen? I know it. What happens is you become mature. When you focus on your relationship with Jesus and grace, and you keep going in grace, you don't fall into legalism, because your grace and knowledge, and you're working on them both, you know what? You grow up in the Lord. And you become mature. And that's the third point this morning that uh, Peter, um, sorry, Je- uh, Jesus talks about in Matthew. He talks about how that seed grows to become a, the largest plant in the garden and then it becomes a tree. And that whole idea of becoming a tree spiritually signifies this idea that we have got deep roots. We're established. We've got a thick trunk. We are strong. Amen. We want to grow in the Lord to that point of maturity. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read verse 16, come on, wake up, Ephesians three sixteen. Paul prays an outstanding prayer, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God's greatness, yeah, not your wonderful abilities. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You hear that? And I pray, listen now, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to not know this knowledge, but to know this knowledge that surpasses, or to know this love, sorry, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's a wonderful prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church there. He's praying that they're going to grow in grace and in love. When we focus on grace and love, and our understanding of who God is and what he wants, we mature. And I want to just explain to you why maturity should be our goal. Remember, we're talking about our potential and reaching our potential. When we become mature, let me tell you what we exhibit. Confidence. We know that no matter what goes on in our lives, no matter what we might do, no matter how we might sin, that Jesus takes us back. And we don't live our lives like, oh, is Jesus cross with me today? I did a bad thing. He's grumpy with me. I feel uncertain about whether I'm saved anymore. That's not maturity. Because of what Jesus has done for us, God never frowns upon us anymore as his people. He smiles. 
You know why? Because when he looks at you and me, he sees Jesus. We have this confidence that, right, I blew it. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you that right now you are drawing me to yourself, that you're smiling over me, that you love me, that your love is unconditional no matter what. Then I go on with my life and I do my best again. I don't live like this person who's being battered by all the stuff that's going on in my life. I'm so rubbish. God couldn't love me. That's not the truth. We're established. We're confident in him. That's maturity. The other thing that is expressed in our lives is right living. When people look at us, they don't see us doing non-biblical things. You know, we're not religious trying to jump through all the hoops and follow all the rules because that makes God love us more. We know he loves us, but we also understand that he has good things for us. He has the best things for us. And so I live according to his word, not because I don't want to get a slap on the side of the head every time I do something wrong, but because I want to prosper in this life and in the life to come. Because I'm so grateful for all Jesus has done, I'm going to live my life right. Because God knows what's best for me and how I operate best. Amen. Right living. The third thing is, we're fruitful in the body. Here's another sign of maturity. We don't just go along to church every Sunday and push off when the bell rings. We say, this is my family. I've got gifts. I've got talents. God's called me to serve and be involved in my family. I'm part of the body. Uh, Jonathan talked about it great last week. And so I give myself to my church to serve. I'm fruitful in the family. That's another sign of maturity. And the fourth thing is that we live in an evangelistic lifestyle. You know, when we believe in the grace of God and we appreciate the relationship we have with Jesus, we can't understand why people would walk past someone who needs that. We can't understand why people would stay silent. When the opportunity arises, we talk about Jesus. We love him. We're so grateful for what he's done in our lives that we want other people to have that thing. Amen. That's spiritual maturity. We don't say, oh, I'm awfully nervous. I'm just going to exit stage left as soon as I can. We say, God, please help me to overcome my anxiety. This gospel message that you have is so much more important than my insecurities. It's so much bigger than me, you know? And you'll be echoing the voices of many people, great people of the faith who went before you, who had stutters, who couldn't speak, and God raised them up to be great leaders for his cause. Join the ranks of the normal people. Amen. Be who you are with all your warts and flaws and speak up. That's a sign of maturity, relying on God's grace. So why is maturity our goal? I'm going to wrap it up now. This idea that it starts as a little seed, gets planted, we nurture it, it grows and grows. You know, it never stops growing when it comes to our spiritual maturity. We don't reach our peak. We never stop growing. There's always more room for us to grow. It grows and grows, it becomes a tree, and then something amazing happens. Wild birds that fly in the air to and fro, come to that tree and they nest in that tree. What is the significance of that for us? What do birds find in a tree? Amen? They find shelter. They find security. They find rest. They build their home there such that they raise a family there and reproduction takes place. New life springs forth. You know, as we grow to maturity as Christians... 
as we focus on the love of Jesus and on grace, something happens inside of us that's like a spiritual magnet. It draws people toward us. There's something about us that people see. They can't describe it with words, but there's something in you that they love. And they're interested to know how you've got that. And they actually want that within themselves too. Um, In John 12, verse 32, Jesus says, If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. When we lift Jesus up in our lives, when we say, you are everything, when we focus on nurturing the potential of the gospel, of his grace in our lives, we start to change. That little seed that started tiny in us when we gave our lives to Jesus grows from our spirit into our souls. And it begins to show up on the surface. And people look at it and say, that's interesting. There's something special right there. And actually what's happening is Jesus is being lifted up in our lives. And you know what? His promise to us is, I will draw all men to myself in you. And you'll become the kind of person that people who don't know Jesus will start to gather around. Because there's something in you, Jesus. And what happens is, like a bird creates a nest, and it hatches out its chicks, new life starts to become the produce of your life. What does that mean? People start to get saved in your family, in your friendship circles, at your workplace, because you're showing maturity. (laughs) Jesus is shining through you. Hallelujah. That's why we crave spiritual maturity. We want Jesus to be lifted up in our lives. We want all men to come to the cross and surrender there. All women, all children, all men, the Bible says, or Jesus says, not the good-looking ones. They can come. You know, not the clever ones. They're too clever. I don't like them. That's not how it works. It's everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. So let's wrap it up. Let's apply this to ourselves today. Where are you at? Are you, I believe everybody here today, let me start again, is being called to plant a seed. Andy was talking about how this whole idea of breakout was an opportunity for people to break out where they're at and go further. It's the same thing. There's a seed that God wants you to plant today. What is it? You will know what it is. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I can say there's a really obvious seed for you to plant today. Now's the time. Now's the time to say, Jesus, I believe just enough. What does just enough look like? You just simply have to believe that Jesus loves you, that he died for your sins, that he has good things for you. That's all you have to believe. It doesn't have to be clearly defined. You don't have to see the road clearly for the next 50 miles in front of you. You just have to look now down here. I believe Jesus loves me. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he has good plans for my life. And so what I do is I plant my seed and I say, forgive me, Lord, for my sin. Forgive me from trying to live in my own strength. Forgive me for having faith in myself 
I'm putting my faith in you. What that looks like, gee, I don't quite know. But I know it's good. And you're going to work it out. And you're going to germinate that seed. That's all you have to do today. And in a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to stand and we're going to pray a prayer together so that you feel encouraged by your brothers and sisters around you to take that step today. Amen. Secondly, you may be young or old in the Lord. What is God calling you to plant? He wants you to grow. He wants you to nurture the seed in your life. And so what are you deliberately going to do about that? If you've fallen out of the habit of reading your Bible because it just feels arbitrary, ask God to give you a love for his word again and start reading it and the love will come. Amen. If you're young in the Lord and you're vulnerable and life just seems to be knocking you about, get involved in our Bible school. We're not asking you to write the rest of your life out and join this thing that's never going to stop. Take it a term at a time. Take it a session at a time. Get involved. You'll water and nurture the seed in your life and God will bless you. God will bless you. Let's mature, folks. Let's grow to maturity. Let's start to exhibit the signs of maturity. Let's grow in our confidence in the Lord. Amen? Let's start to live simply according to his word. Let's trust him that actually... He's not a killjoy. He's got great things for us. You know? Let's start to do these kinds of things. Let's get involved in the body of Christ. Let's start serving. Let's be deliberate. Let's believe in the potential in the seed in our lives. Amen. Let's stand together. I want you to repeat this prayer after me because I believe that there's someone here, at least one person, that maybe is about to start their journey with Jesus. And I'm going to say the prayer. If you're here, maybe you're listening along on this video. Just repeat my words. Make them your own. Folks, just go through the motions if you're a Christian. Let's encourage one another. And let's believe that life is about to begin in our lives and in other people's. Let's pray. Say, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you that you displayed it by dying on a cross for me. Thank you for, when you, for the life that you achieved for me when you rose from the dead to life again. Thank you for the potential of that life in me. But today I will be releasing it in my own life. Forgive me, Jesus, for my sins, for being the captain of my own fate. Today I give you full control. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for your wonderful grace being planted in my life right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.